Hello friends, hello pod people, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You are very welcome, whether you're here for the first time or you've been on this journey with us together for quite some time now. Part of this worldwide community who together have made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of our daily lives. And if you are here for the first time, then why not click on that subscribe button and that way you need never miss another single episode. Doesn't matter where you're getting your podcasts from, which platform you're using, by clicking on subscribe, you too can bring the teaching of the Bible and make it part of your everyday life. There's a new episode uploaded every day, Monday to Friday, and you can choose to follow along at whatever pace you like. You can even go right back to the very beginning and just work through the episodes day by day at the pace that suits you. So again, thank you for joining me, and we're going to drop back in and pick up where we left off last time which is uh, the seconder days and I make no excuses for having spent two days two days studying this incredibly important passage often called the Transfiguration. Do hang on at the end and I'll update you of other ways in which you can connect with this ministry and receive lots of more free teaching resources. But other than that, I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Okay, friends, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last time, our second day in this incredibly important event in the New Testament, called in most of our translations the Transfiguration, a important passage but a challenging passage, which is why we spent a couple of days together trying to unpack it and unravel it. So what I want to do is, we covered the first sort of six verses yesterday, but I just want to reread them to us again so we uh, really get the thread of, of where we're picking up from. So very importantly, you'll remember that in this section, I included the last verse of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus was heard to say, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And now we then pick up chapter 17, where it immediately says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to him, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
While he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were afraid. So what's going on here is, well, obviously, they're up on the high mountain and Peter's got a bit carried away and wanted to sort of memorialise the event and is kind of missing the big point here. And the voice of God appears out of the heavens and confirms that this is Jesus, what he's saying is important, and that they should listen to him. And we see that the disciples fall on their faces and actually are described as being greatly afraid or terrified in some of the translations. Now Peter, at the point at which the voice of God is heard, it almost suggests he's interrupted, he's still speaking. He's probably still in that moment where he wanted to build these tabernacles, but then he hears a voice come out of heaven, out of the clouds. Now it's interesting because in the Old Testament, God spoke out of the clouds. He led the children of Israel that way. But this time he says this when he speaks, this is my beloved son. Now everything in this statement that is said, every word of it, full of messianic meaning. Because he says, this is my beloved son. And that's a reference to Psalm 2, where the Messiah is called God's beloved son. Then the statement, in whom I am well pleased. That's a direct reference from Isaiah chapter 42, also a messianic passage. And then it says, hear him or listen to him. And this is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18, which is another messianic passage where the people are told to watch and to listen for him. So God comes out of heaven and he says, Wait a moment, Peter. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You need to stop. All of you need to stop and listen to what is being said here. So again, this drives us back to what Jesus said early in this passage when he talked about something special happening that they would witness whilst they were alive, something that was only talked about six days previously. But it almost appears that it didn't quite register because only six days have gone and it appears at some level they've already forgotten or at least not taken it in because they're focusing on the wrong thing or at least Peter definitely is. So what was it Jesus said that God the Father felt compelled to say to Peter and the others to stop what they're doing and to listen? What did Peter miss? Well, if you go back to the latter part of chapter 16, what we saw Jesus trying to do very repeatedly was emphasize that he was going to go to Jerusalem and that he was going to suffer many things and he was going to be killed and that he was going to come back from the dead. And then he says this statement about some of you are going to see me coming in my kingdom glory before you die. So Jesus is not rejecting the idea that he's going to come in his kingdom. He just wants to emphasize that he's going to die and he's going to involve suffering. And to help them understand that, some of them are going to get a glimpse of what the eternal plan of God is before they even have died. You may also remember that earlier in that passage, in the preliminary teaching up to this, he had said to them and told them to follow me, to follow him. And in order to do that, that they too would have to deny themselves. And we too today have to deny ourselves in order to follow him. And in that sense, pick up our crosses and follow him. 
so clearly indicating that this following would involve hardship in their life, but that it would be rewarded in the next, in this glimpse of the coming kingdom that they have here on the mountainside. So these are the things that God is trying to impress upon these disciples who are witnessing this event. Listen to what the Lord Jesus has to say, he says. It says that these three people, Moses, Elijah and Jesus, were talking together about his death. He is going to suffer. He is going to die. And if you follow him, yes, you may indeed experience suffering in your life. But through that, you've just got to trust and obey and follow him. Because then you will be rewarded in this coming kingdom, which is, I can assure you, is coming and is still coming. And that's what's going on on this hillside. And that's what's being described in this passage of scripture. And it is the, the drama of this event, the amazing thing that happens, and the sound of God booming out of the clouds, the dramatics of it all, that seem to terrify them. And it says they fall down on their face terrified. But then the text tells us, verse 7, picking up from where we finished last time, but Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. So it's Jesus now left on his own with the disciples. Moses and Elijah have disappeared. When these disciples look up, having fallen face down in the ground, all they can now see is the Lord. And perhaps that's all that God wanted them to see now. From a theological point of view, many point out that this also suggests that Jesus has now fulfilled completely the role of the law and the prophets and they disappear into the background so to speak so the people who follow him are only left seeing and gazing upon him anyway the text continues verse 9 now as they came down from the mountainside jesus commanded them saying tell the vision to no one until the son of man is risen from the dead now, because he didn't want the public to get overly excited and to focus on this end kingdom that is coming, he asks them not to speak about it. He wants them and the general public to focus on his death at this time. It's not appropriate to tell them what happened, particularly because of their appetite to misinterpret it. Even the disciples did it, so certainly the general population, the crowd would. So in summary, and tying it up to Matthew chapter 16, verse 28, what I'm trying to say is that the flow of this passage bridges across the two chapters and indicates what Jesus said to his disciples about some of them seeing him in glory before he dies does not refer to them seeing his second coming arriving before they die, but some of them seeing his glory, a vision of the coming kingdom, in the full transfiguration. Of course, if you think about it, it can't apply to the whole second coming, because then why would only some, a select few, of the disciples see and experience it? John, we remember, in his opening of his gospel account, he declared that he had seen his glory. And as we shall see in a minute, he's not the only one who later testified to this event and what happened on that day. Peter, in his writing, in his writing, his second letter, also tells us about what happened this day and what it meant. To Peter, 
chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, he writes this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he's saying, we didn't make this stuff up. It's not based in any myths and legends. We actually witnessed something, and something that we witnessed was his majesty. And then he continues, verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. It couldn't be any clearer. Peter writes about it later and puts it in those very clear terms. So Peter is saying specifically, look, I'm telling you that Jesus is coming back and he's coming back in power and glory and that this is not a fable. And that's what that whole second letter is about. It's about to encourage people with the knowledge of the second coming. He says, look, back in the day, I was on the mountain and we got a glimpse. We saw Jesus in his full majesty and we saw him in his position as a fulfillment of what the law and the prophets has promised and what God confirms. So Peter is definitely saying that the fulfillment of that verse in Matthew chapter 628 about some of them seeing him in his glory and the kingdom coming was actually referring to this transfiguration event so in short i can say that question that i asked at the beginning of yesterday's message was was jesus mistaken in saying this well the answer to that is a resounding no so they're, they're on their way down the mountain, having just witnessed these events together, and they're having a discussion as they go. So let's go back and pick up in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 10 and see what's said as we close out this passage. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answers and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming and will come first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. So as I said, they're coming down the mountain, and they've just been told not to say anything to the crowd. They've just seen the glory. They've just had a glimpse of what the coming kingdom will be like. And they've got the connection and they see that it has to do with his second coming later. And that reminded them of something. It reminded them of something with the scribes and the Pharisees taught about the Old Testament. And they want to see if that's true and if the scribes and Pharisees were interpreting it right. Because you see, they were objecting. One of the reasons they were objecting to the fact that Jesus was Messiah was because they said the Old Testament promised that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And in many ways it appeared to some, and certainly to the scribes and Pharisees, that he hadn't come yet. And Jesus answers them and says to them, Yes, indeed, Elijah is coming first and he will restore all things. And restore could be interpreted as prepare all things, get things into a restored into a place where the Messiah is able to come. And Jesus is actually saying, yes, they're right in that sense, that he does have to appear and that ground has to be prepared in order for the Messiah to come. So Jesus is saying, in essence, they're right and that Elijah has already appeared. 
But is it just he's appeared just now, or is he referring to something else? But Jesus is pointing out here to them and says, Remember, John the Baptist, he came first, and it was declared that he came in the spirit of Elijah. And at that time, pretty much everybody missed what that meant. But the disciples, they go, ah, they get this part of it, because it tells us so in the next verse, they understood it. So what Jesus has just said to him is that John the Baptist was the fulfillment of the promise of the coming of Elijah prior to his full revealing. But also that he was only coming and coming into the hearts and minds of those people who had an ear to hear. In other words, it was coming in an individual way, revealing the truth of God's kingdom to those who had the correct posture of heart and were willing to hear. See, John the Baptist, he came preaching, make straight the way of the Lord. He came preaching a baptism of repentance and preaching that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's almost here, and if you want to receive it, you've got to repent. Notice in verse 12 here, it says, I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did to him whatever they wished. Clearly meaning they persecuted him and that the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands also. And we know John the Baptist is dead. In Matthew chapter 16, he says, Look, I'm also, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to die, and I need you to understand this. And remember, John the Baptist already, he came in the spirits of Elijah, and he's been killed already. So thinking about John the Baptist He was killed, and I'm going to be killed also. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And that is the thought that's constantly coming through, not just this passage, but the preceding passage from all of chapter 16, where he's turned his focus to teaching and helping the disciples really get a complete understanding, full understanding of his role as Messiah and Saviour of the people. Okay, let me try and summarise this up, make a a few final observations. I do think that some of what has been said thus far in this passage, and although this transfiguration appears to be, when looking at it, an incredibly uh, transformative, spiritual, but complicated event, but what it teaches is, is really rather straightforward. The promise is that it's opened with this promise to the disciples that some of them will not die, before they see him in his kingdom glory. Some of them, not all of them. And this prophecy, if you like, in from chapter 16, verse 28, is fulfilled in the transfiguration where these guys get to see the glory and majesty of God, of Jesus, in full. So Jesus was not mistaken in what he said about them not dying before he came in kingdom power and majesty because he was not talking about the second coming, as described, for example, in Revelation, but he was talking about this transfiguration event. So don't make the mistake of thinking Jesus made a mistake. He did not. This event is critical in the whole overall ministry of Jesus and in our ability to understand it, because in it, it has demonstrated who he is and what he's about to do in the short term by going to Jerusalem and dying as a saviour and in the long term by coming back again and establishing the kingdom of God. 
So number one, it confirms Jesus is going to die. And it's critical to remember that. So critical that God spoke from heaven and said this how he was going to be. And also Moses and Elijah as witnesses from the law and the prophets. As to the truth of that, we're brought into this situation today. And number two, the second thing is that throughout this passage, there is an emphasis on the fact that he's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to establish the kingdom. One Bible teacher of old I read said, and I quote, the presence of the Old Testament saints on earth, in other words, that's referring to Moses and Elijah, with Christ in this glorified state is the greatest possible verification of the kingdom promises of the Old Testament to the reality of the kingdom coming on earth, fulfilled in Jesus Christ and revealed completely and fully in the New Testament. Jesus, as the Son of Man, is going to come one day to judge the world and establish God's kingdom of earth. And these very few chosen disciples, the inner group within the inner group, were permitted for a moment to see Jesus as the Son of Man in his kingdom glory. So what the transfiguration does is that it confirms, yes, that Jesus is going to die, but it also confirms that he's going to come back and establish the kingdom. And the configuration is the event that confirms both those events at one and the same time. Jesus was not mistaken when he said what he said at the end of the last chapter. And we should not be mistaken in understanding the purpose of his death and not appreciating or understanding the fact that he's not just going to die for our sins as a saviour, but he's going to return in power and majesty to establish the kingdom. The great impact of this event in our lives as we approach it in the text should be to inspire us, give us an extra motivation, not just to trust Christ as our Saviour as revealed here, but if you've already done that, then you need, we all need to be in the business of serving the Lord. And that is following him and serving him, even if it means we face hardship and persecution, so that we can be rewarded in the kingdom to come because the kingdom of God is truly coming. That's what this passage tells us. And these guys got a special glimpse of what it was like. They saw what it was going to be like in a sense with their own eyes. So don't be one of the peoples who mistake what this means or miss out on this aspect of the teaching of the Bible. Try and live your life in the light of the fact that not only did Jesus suffer and die but that he will return again to establish the kingdom and we all who have chosen to be disciples and followers of him will be invited and involved in whatever and however that kingdom is. Okay, people, that's it for today. Wow, what a passage. What an amazingly deep, complicated, but rewarding passage that is. I do hope you find my little uh, effort to look at some of the insights revealed from it helpful. And if you are, I just give thanks to God for that. 
Now, if you're one of those people who's been doing this for a while and been on this journey with me, I do hope you're getting as much out of it as I certainly am in preparing these daily talks. But I have a favour to ask, which is, if you are appreciating it, then why not consider posting a link or liking it or sharing it on all those places in the internet where you choose to exist? Perhaps the way you stumbled upon this was someone else made that decision which sowed that seed so that you found your way, that you were brought into the orbit, if you like, of the Bible and the message of the Gospel. I am told that by liking, sharing or copying links and posting links in that social media world, this is the most effective way in which people will be given the opportunity to have their lives transformed too by the daily study of the Bible. Now the place where the podcast is hosted is the bibleproject.buzzsprout.com. On there, all the active links to all the other places where I post teaching and uh, Bible study resources are all found there, as well as a transcript every day of what I've said. And these resources I make available are always free. It is my plan, even the books I've published and the books I've published in the past, I'm going to make them all freely available as PDF files through the Patreon platform. So you'll find links to all those things there. And if where you're receiving and listening to this podcast from, you're not seeing active links, that's because you may be using one of the major platforms who are getting into the habit now of blocking active links to what they see as other rival places. Well, don't worry, carry on listening where it's best for you to make sure it appears every day in your phone, your tablet, or whatever it is you listen to it from. But maybe at some point pay a visit to the host website. Nobody's browsing tracks there. There's no adverts there. And on that place, all the, the links will obviously remain active and you'll be able to connect with this teaching, hopefully on a more meaningful level. But with that all said, it's just great. Wherever it is you're getting it from, however it is you're doing this, it's great to know that there are thousands and thousands of people around the world who've made the decision to make not just the reading, but the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily lives. And thank you for that. And I do hope I will see you back here again tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me, that's for sure. But whatever day it is for you, that's okay. And whatever pace you're doing it, that's okay as well. As we journey together through the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.